You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 192 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Roll, and it's been a week and a half since uh, the horror of it all. And uh, joining me for, for the first time in almost two weeks, Scott Coleman is here. Hey, man. What's going on, Brad? Yeah, I was, uh, you know, I couldn't make it the night after, which was, was tough. Um, but, you know, it was obviously not the way that anybody wanted the Brave season to end after a really great six-month ride, but... You know, ultimately, at the end of the day, only one team gets to gets to hoist the the World Series trophy. So um, it was a bummer, but thankfully, um, as these things go, you know, you have a little bit of a down period. But there was a fair amount of of news, uh, the, at least Braves news over the last week or ten days, and um, and then you know we have the World Series coming up. But then before we know it, we'll be right back in the swing of of hopefully a, a better winter than the last couple. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, just to set the stage a little bit here for our plan the next few weeks, we actually, as you sort of alluded to just a second ago, we have more to talk about than I thought on this first episode, which is nice. Um, we are planning to do some deeper dives into some position groups, for for lack of a better term. Uh, we'll do a bullpen review at some point. We'll do a star rotation review at some point, a lineup review at some point. Um, but today is basically going to be news, and then we'll, we'll talk about the 40-man situation and sort of the projections that are out there about what the roster and the money stuff might look like before free agency Inevitably arrives, um, and uh, <laughs> we'll see how fast it goes, because last year, famously, and we, we made fun of this a lot, but the Braves' winter was not essentially one day last year. Yep. Not even one day, like within like 30 minutes. Yeah, which wasn't great for content um, for no. us, no. so hopefully they'll spread, they'll spread it out a little bit more and they'll be active. But Yeah, we'll, we'll hope. I know uh, uh, Jeff Passan of ESPN tweeted the other day that they're already bracing, that front office types are already bracing for another slow winter because... Um, at least on the free agent market, because something like eight of the top 12 free agents are all Scott Boris clients. And if history is any indication, they're not going to be in any kind of hurry to sign. Maybe that changes a little bit and they get spooked, but it's not like, you know, Bryce and Manny Machado didn't end up getting paid last year. Um, so if it's any indication, again, it's not for sure. All it takes is one of the big hitters to sign early and then things can start moving. But um, it, it does seem at least like there's a better than not chance that it's a uh, a pretty slow moving free agent market once again. Yeah, that does seem likely. I just hope that uh, if the Braves make two free agent signings, they don't happen in the same four hours. Yeah, um, that would spread be them out. Um, anyway, we'll, we'll get back to that at, on the second half of this podcast. We'll talk about the roster outlook and in general sense. But I think the the most newsy item this week was that Freddie Freeman had surgery. Uh, it was arthroscopic surgery. 
on Wednesday in New York. Um, I'm going to read what the press release announcement had to say about the injury, and it said that the doctor, quote, explored and cleaned out the entire right elbow joint during the procedure, removing three fragmented loose bodies and cleaning up multiple bone spur formations that had developed, end quote. Um, And I guess the other thing to note here is that he is, quote, expected to be ready for spring training, end quote. The the second part of that is not surprising. Um, Even when everyone was discussing the the potential for surgery, it was always going to be like the cleanup like this, and there was no real worry about him missing time in 2020. But I have to, I'll ask you first, what was your first reaction when you saw the press release that said, by the way, Freddie had surgery? (laughs) I mean, it was kind of like the worst kept secret, you know, Obviously, even before he sat for a couple of games and uh, when he kind of re-aggravated it against the Nationals on that play where he awkwardly went down to one arm to kind of brace himself, it was clear that Freddie was not 100%. His numbers had started to tail off. And then, of course, we you know, I don't need to remind everybody of just how bad his playoff series was. And then he just didn't look right. So I know he's it's kind of his thing for whatever reason. He wears it like a badge of pride. Um, that he doesn't like to miss games. He doesn't like to miss even an inning or an at-bat. Who knows what rest would have done for him in September. Maybe it helps the elbow. Maybe the damage is already done. It was going to be one of those things that uh, was going to bug him whether uh, whether he played every day or if he had three weeks off and then tried to give it a go. I I don't know. I I don't know if anyone really knows other than maybe Freddie's doctor. But um, ultimately it's good to have him get it cleaned up. You had mentioned it's an issue that's bothered him for a couple of years. Um, and as you mentioned at the end there, um, being arthroscopic surgery, you would hope that it's a, you know, I don't know, two month recovery period. And then he's, he's ready to go, uh, when players start showing up at the end of February. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm as guilty as anyone of referencing and being annoyed by the fact that Freddie came back and played in that series at the end of the season. That didn't make sense to me. It still doesn't. But your point is a good one that we don't we don't know how it w- how it would have went. Obviously, Freeman had well documented struggles in the playoffs. He was brutal. He was the worst he's basically ever been, um, and at a really bad time. And you know, I uh, <laughs> I don't want to say this. I'm not sure you can. You know, there was a lot of like double talk around this. Is the way that I'll put it. Um, this week, especially after the surgery, people were talking about this. Like, oh well, that explains why he was so bad in the playoffs. Well, I was like, well. You know, probably it probably has an effect on it. Certainly, I'm not sure you can. Uh, my my whole thing is on one hand, you can't praise Freeman for playing, and you know, being the gritty guy who's always in the lineup, and then at the same time, as the same person, say, well, that w- that was why he wasn't good in the playoffs. Well, you, you can't you can't do both of those things. Um, you know, we we talked about this, and this is not revisionist from us on this podcast for sure for two seasons now, or maybe even longer than that, about how we just think Freddie plays too much, <laughs> and Freddie is kind of just given license to play whenever he wants and as much as he wants. And I get that he's a superstar and superstars get treated differently, but I would have liked to have seen, and we said this before it happened, so it's not revisionist, you know, him to not just be ground and put into the ground, essentially playing all the time. But that's just kind of, you know, his personality is that way. And there's, there's pros and cons to that. The pro is that your best players in the lineup every day. And that's not a bad thing. But at the same time, I think it's, you know, he's not really shown himself uh, willing to take himself out of the lineup unless he absolutely can't play. There was the famous um, swinging a, uh, some what, what was it? Wet newspaper. Was that, was that the quote? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, w- with the wrist. So w- we've seen that, you know, there is something admirable about Freeman playing through whatever he's possibly able to play through. But he's clearly not been able or willing to take himself out of the lineup too. So 
that'll probably be a never-ending debate that people have over the winter because there's nothing else to talk about about whether he should have been playing or not. I will say a bad hurt Freeman um, was probably still your best option at first base because it wasn't like there was another great option. So that's kind of a weird thing too. But at the end of the day, what you said is right. We'll never know um, like what would have happened if, if he had rested more or how much wear and tear this was. There's a lot of gray area that we'll just never be able to answer. What we do know is that he did have surgery. Um, we do know that you know clearly he wasn't right. And what we do know is that he was terrible in the playoffs. All those three things are just publicly available now. So yeah, do with that, do with that what you will, I suppose. Yeah, and you know, I I like everybody was was tweeting about it a fair amount, and like I get it, like there's something to be said for guys who go out there and grind every single day. And this isn't just Freddie. It's, it's, it's everybody. And, but, but there comes a point where you have to look in the mirror and go, okay, two years in a row. Now the Braves have been a playoff team and two years in a row, the Braves bats completely fell off in September. I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I think there was about a 15 point drop in WRC plus from basically the first five months of the season to the month of September. And then, Anybody who's watched the Braves in their last uh, two NLDS appearances know that the bats weren't exactly setting the world on fire there either. So, you know, it it is beating a horse. It's a horse that's been dead for a long time. But at some point, you have to think, I wonder why the the guys keep cooling off at the end of the year. Um, Again, it's not just Freddie. Josh Donaldson had one home run over the final month of the season. Um, It's just, it's a situation where I, I don't understand what, Brian Snickers' hesitancy is to give guys a day off in the middle of July when they're playing 20 games in 21 days. I, I just don't get it. Maybe that's his thing. I'm not a big league manager. I'm not around 25 millionaires in the clubhouse every day. I, I don't have 40 years of, of managing experience under my belt. But if you don't need a PhD in statistics to figure out, wow, there's a certain trend here that at the end of the year, these guys are just completely gassed. Maybe we should start giving them a day or two off. Again, it's a dead horse. Nothing that I say is going to change what the Braves do, but it does seem fairly obvious to me what the problem is, and uh, we'll see. I mean, he's, he's kind of had two years to learn from it now. We'll see if in year three anything is, is different, but um, that's kind of my feelings on it. It's one of those things that you just can't prove, so this argument will never end. But my, my one stat on this before we move on is – the Braves had four of the top 30 players in Major League Baseball in terms of games played this season. There are 30 teams in Major League Baseball. The Braves had four of the top 30 players. Yeah. Um, and by the way, one of those guys was Josh Donaldson, who we came into the season, and they came into the season talking about how much they were going to protect him and rest him. He played 155 games. Yeah. Like, I, I would have had the, I mean, I guess, you know, good on them for keeping him healthy. That, that's a good thing that he was able to stay healthy. But, man, I would have had the under on that, like, I would have bet a hefty sum of money that he wouldn't play 155 games this year. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And by the way, there, there would have been a fifth. If Marquegas didn't get hurt, he was on pace to play that much as well. So it mm-hmm. wasn't like it was only the top four. Clearly, you know, your best four players, That I'm sh- I can already hear somebody arguing against us. Well, those are your best four players. Well, yes, they are. That is undisputed. The, the four guys who played the most games were the best four players. I totally get that. But, uh, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, there's enough modern um, – medicine or however you want to say that modern you know sports management of how, how guys are managing different sports that I think it's pretty uh well defined now that it's not the best thing for these guys to play every single day in the season baseball is different than basketball or football or whatever else but um I think it's not you know physically it can't possibly be the best for the player to play every single day there's just no yeah. way so yeah 
Yeah, I mean, even the mental aspect of it again. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's just too. give yourself, give them one day off. If at the end of the season the Braves miss the playoffs by one game or miss lose, winning the division by one game, and we go, well, you know, if they would have not given Josh Donaldson June twenty third off, they would have won. You know, that doesn't happen. It's it's a bigger issue than that. Um, but if it does help keep guys fresh, and again, who knows? Maybe giving Freddie a couple random days off and. June, July, and August wouldn't have made any difference with this kind of injury or, or any player on the roster. But um, ultimately, I do hope it's something, especially now that they've built um, some pretty decent depth throughout the organization, uh, which we'll talk about here in a bit. Um, it, it just makes sense to to do it. Yeah, we'll see how they treat everybody next year. That would be a talking point. It was a talking point this year, um, and they you know they clearly did not ramp off. Uh, they did not go off the, uh, the, the the gas pedal too much on those guys. So we'll see if it changes at all looking ahead to 2020. But uh, I guess the good thing is that Freeman will be ready to go by then. And, uh, you know, in, in theory, will be uh, 100% healthy. So that's nice. Um, the other bit of news that is actual news that is out there on the Braves this week is that Ron Washington might be leaving. Um, Washington uh, famously took the Rangers to the World Series two years in a row um, as a very well-regarded um, third-base coach slash bench coach slash manager in his past. And he is now, a, he's a I guess, a reported finalist. I saw he, basically two a two-man battle for this. I know you said something about like the fact that he was maybe the front runner. There's some reporting out there. Nothing's done at this point in time, but he might be heading to the Padres, and they need a manager, and uh, he's very well qualified to be a manager, so that kind of makes a lot of sense. I will say, before I hand it to you, having been around the clubhouse a little bit more this year, everybody loves Ron Washington. Like that's not a, that's not a big surprise, but he's basically universally beloved. Uh, you know, I, I have a couple of friends who are diehard Rangers fans that didn't always love Ron Washington tactically, but he is not um, someone who like that that that's a real loss in my opinion. If he is if he is to leave, how much of that can be measured is always an interesting thing for especially for a non-manager like you're losing a coach that's not not responsible for anyone i know wash is basically responsible for infield defense that's important but you know how much that matters is up for debate but uh that will be a loss that is felt if he is uh out out the door to san diego absolutely and it's not hard to see why san diego would want him he's a veteran he's a guy who i mean the videos of him doing his infield drills with ozzy and dansby are always so great to see and you look at the Padres right now, and they have so much young talent uh, across the board, really, but especially on the infield. Um, they have some some tremendous talent, um, and uh, it, it makes sense from them. It seems like it's between uh, Washington and one other person, and, and everything around the Padres kind of points towards uh, Wash being the favorite. Again, nothing, as you said, nothing's been finalized. Those things can fall apart. Um, a lot of it, too, is figuring out, you know, if, if he can get various coaches around him that he would want, pitching coaches, bench coaches, and the like. So, um, But if he does leave, it would be a real blow um, to the Braves because, of, of as you said, he's so well-liked. Um, and obviously, people around the game say he works harder than any coach in the game. Um, so it would be a, a significant loss to the team if he does go out to San Diego. Yeah, Wash is 67 years old, which is old. I mean, it's not, it's not, he's not, he's not a spry individual in terms of uh, age. <laughs> and, you know, we've, uh, I'm, I'm fairly sure if like th- th- there was a couple of people asking, and I'm not sure I want to spend any time on this at all, but people were asking right after the series, like, what happens with Brian Snicker? Like, well, okay, they're not going to, they're not going to fire him. I can guarantee you that. And I think if he was going to retire, he would have done that by now. 
uh, after a week and a half. So um, people were like, how about how about Ron Washington for Braves manager if, if Snicker leaves? And I was like, man, maybe, but that's not going to happen. So if you're if you're Ron Washington and you're 67 years old and you want to manage again, this is this is the time to do it. Um, so if he's able to get yeah. that job, he's he's obviously going to take it, which he should. And uh, well, and that's a great. Job. I mean, you talk about jobs now. Granted, there's some, you know, there's a little bit of pressure because it wasn't like Andy Green was terrible, but. Um, that is a team with as much young talent as, I mean, if people think the Braves have young talent and they do, I mean, San Diego's farm system is maybe better than what the Braves was like two years ago when it was just booming. Right. Um, you have some, some big league talent, you have some pretty decent young pitching that came along this year. Um, granted you are, and, and you know, at the end of the day, you're also making a million plus dollars living in San Diego, managing baseball games for a living. So there's really <laughs> not a, a downside to that job at all. Yeah, um, as former as former co-hosts of the program, Carlos Colazzo used to tell me, and I actually have a good friend that I work with on the Hawks side of things named Jeff Siegel, who lives in San Diego. Basically, everyone that I know lives in San Diego swears by, swears by San Diego, so if, if you can yeah, live there... It's, it's the best city in the country as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, if, if you can live there and uh, be, I guess, handsomely compensated and uh, be around <laughs> baseball right, every day... Yeah. Yeah, million dollars. He'll be renting an apartment somewhere, but uh, but other than that, yeah, it's a great place to live. Yeah, not too bad, I suppose. So yeah, we'll we'll follow up on that um, if that actually comes to fruition. I don't have too much more to say on that. If he leaves, the Braves will actually, of course, have to hire someone to yeah. replace him. Um, but other than that, um, yeah, we'll leave it there for now. And uh, good luck to Ron Washington because I hope he gets it. He's he's apparently someone who is beloved. I've never I've never spoken to the man one on one, but um, everything I've heard from people, media, players, everybody seems to love him. So yeah, there you go. absolutely. All right, we'll take a quick break, Scott, and we'll come right back to talk more about the roster, um, sort of an overview coming, so uh, stay tuned for that. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right, Scott. Uh, let's talk about the roster a little bit. Um, sort of a 40-man outlook. Again, as I said before, we're not going to dive in on player analysis on this podcast necessarily. We're going to save that for a little bit later because we have to fill a lot of uh, time in the next in the next several months. But um, there was some reporting from Mark Bowman that was out there, which I want to start with that, and then we'll sort of narrow down a little bit to look at the roster situation and the payroll and all that. Of course, this is a, this is a sport where it's not like the NBA where they have to fit under the salary cap. They're in no danger of going over the uh, the luxury tax threshold. But uh, we'll get there in a second. First things first, though. Uh, Mark uh, Bowman. Just the idea of the Braves being over the luxury tax threshold just makes me laugh. They are nowhere close to that, uh, and they yeah. won't. And they won't be. I can't imagine. So, 
Um, uh. Anyway, the, the 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 reporting that's out there from Bowman, some of which is not surprising, some of which is surprising to some degree, but it's all we have right now, so we're going to go by that. Uh, first things first, Mark Bowman says that, quote, barring an unknown medical concern, end quote, Tyler Flowers and his $6 million team option is a, quote, slam dunk, end quote, to be picked up. Now, for me, this is not surprising, but I saw some Braves fans that were like a little bit surprised by this. I am not, because if you lose Brian McCann, I don't think you want to go into the offseason. And I think Bowman even wrote this. I don't think you want to go in the offseason with no catcher. Um, like no yeah. no catchers and uh, mm-hmm. flowers. I know he was he struggled this year, this year in comparison to the previous to the past, but he has some strengths and I know he is beloved in that clubhouse. So I was not surprised. Are you surprised by that at all? No, no, I wasn't. And I think it's it's kind of like the other options the Braves have, uh, where I think his buyout is either a million and a half or two million dollars. So realistically, you're getting one of the game's elite pitch framers. And a guy, as you mentioned, who the pitchers like working with for, I don't know, four to five million dollars. Um, I think he would have no trouble getting that if he went on the open market. And yep. as you said, if McCann retires and you lose Flowers, all of a sudden you have, I mean, Alex Jackson is your best in-house candidate at that point. That's not, and uh, that's not, that's not really a starting caliber. Option. No, no. And and then other than you look around and and not to go too deep into free agency here, but then if all of a sudden you look at the catchers and you're only decent option is Yasmani Grandal. If all of a sudden he gets paid above what you're wanting to pay, you have a legitimate problem. It's not a, oh, that's an inconvenience. They're going to have to figure that out. It could be a legitimate problem in a hurry. So um, for the money, it, for me, even if he isn't hitting, even if he isn't kind of in a platoon and is more of a backup, um, you can do a lot worse for $6 million bucks. And uh, I think Flowers has shown he's worth at least one more year now that McCann is for sure gone. Yeah, this is something that I've said before on the podcast, but it's worth pointing out again. I think Braves fans have been a little bit spoiled by catcher recently because I, I think the last two or three seasons with the Flowers-Suzuki pairing and this year with Flowers and McCann, they haven't been star-level players, but if you look around the league, man, catcher is really rough. Yeah, it's a wasteland. And the Braves have had a pretty, pretty solid, pretty strong catching duo in three trade seasons now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Flowers is going to be 34 I'm not sure he's as good as, you know, the Fangraphs stuff makes him seem. I think it might overrate the framing a little bit, but his framing is elite and everybody knows it. And his bat is fine. I mean, even this year when people were getting frustrated with him, he posted an 88 WRC+. Now, that's not good, but at catcher, to post a 732 OPS is fine. Like, that's not a bad platoon catcher at all. Like, in fact... You know, he was worth two wins this year from from, from from Fangraphs. I think that's probably a little bit overstating his value in 85 games. That seems a little bit high. But if you tell me that you can have half of, half of a catching platoon with Tyler Flowers in it, you're doing pretty well. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with this. Ideally, they can pair him with a left-handed hitting catcher or someone who can just kind of fill that role. If it's, you know, Grandall is the only player basically that's available that we know is available in free agency that is like a substantial upgrade from Flowers, which you just said. So if, if you can get Grandall, then you probably wouldn't want Flowers to back him up at $6 million. That's a lot of money for a backup catcher because Grandall yeah. would be clearly the starter. But if you go into the situation looking for a part timer to pair with Flowers, that's pretty easy to find relatively cheaply. So, yeah. And it's been a question too, and who knows how the front office actually feels about this, but it is a valid question of if you brought in a high dollar, you know, or traded for a, a big time player, JT Realmuto last winter, Grandall uh, this time around, you know, can those guys hold up 
over 150 games in the middle of an Atlanta summer. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe they could and they'd continue their production. But, I mean, you know you know anybody who listens, uh, who lives in the Atlanta area knows just how hot those summer days can be, even though summer nights can be. Um, I, it, it can certainly take a toll on you physically. Um, and, and who knows? As good as those guys are, as good as Grandall has been, all of a sudden, if he has to catch 150 games with half of his games being played in the in the in the humidity in the South, um, it is a significant change for a player, and that's not something that's just you just kind of say, oh no, that won't be a problem. It could be something. So I think knowing how the Braves have have operated at catcher the last few years, as you said, I think we're more than likely looking at a another kind of a platoon, if you will, um, for somewhere in the neighborhood of I don't know eight to ten million dollars overall. Yeah, and uh, I guess it's—I guess in theory it could be Alex Jackson. Um, I would not probably endorse that unless it was a fallback option. That would not be my primary option. But you could do worse than a Flowers-Alex Jackson combo to start the season. That would not be the worst catching situation in the major leagues. Let's just let's just say that it would probably be about average, honestly. As much as that kind of scares mm-hmm. me a little bit. Yeah. Um, the second guy that we have to discuss is Nick Markakis, who we talked about a lot on this podcast, but. Uh, Bowman says he is, quote, expecting, end quote, the Braves to pick up Marquecas' option. Um, for the record, it's a $2 million buyout and $6 million overall if they were to pay him that money. Uh, unfortunately, that does not surprise me. <laughs> uh, it's kind yeah. of funny how it worked out when Marquecas, um, when they signed him to this contract, you know, I guess you know, 10, 10, 11 months ago now, I think the prevailing sentiment on this podcast was, you know, that, that deal was totally fine in terms of money. He was appropriately paid. The worry was that he would be overused. And uh, fast forward, it was appropriate money, and he was overused. Um, this year, coming up, 2020, you know, if you could tell me that Marquecas, you know, it's a little bit different this time around because Marquecas, honestly, this year, if you look at, if you believe in the war metrics, if you believe in what they tell you and all the advanced stuff, he was not worth his salary this year. He's about a half win player, half win to a, to a full win player over a full season. Part of that was the injury, but part of that was just, you know, the defense was not well regarded. The bat was league average. And that gives you a player that is, you know, not a disaster at $6 million, but not someone who you are thoroughly excited to pay $6 million. So, yeah. I mean, I said this to you before we started recording, but I'll just say it here now. Until Marquecas is not on the team, I'm going to assume he's on the team. Uh, and part of that is that they just love him. And that's. I'm I'm going to save my opinion on on the player for the most part for right now, but I just I can relay that we've, we've said it a number of times before. They believe that he is better than we believe he is. So, just to, to live in reality right now until until Anthopolis says nope, he's not going to be here. I'm going to assume he's on the team, and if he's on the team, we have to assume he's going to start because Ryan yep. Ryan Snicker is going to start him. That's just going to be what happens. No, you're right. I mean, if, if he's on there, no, that's my thing about this, right? That's, that's if, everybody's thing. I think is the if problem. we knew, if we knew that there was going to be some kind of a legitimate platoon with Adam Duvall, Austin Riley, whoever it is, I think you could at least wrap your head around it a little bit easier. My problem is this: it's the opportunity cost of running him out there, even if it was a platoon, and you start him 120, 130 games a year because just just not a lot of left-handed pitchers especially starters in the National League right now, um, like there's none. Um, it just it limits the upside so much for what the Braves can do. And this is a team that is trying to win a World Series, right? You look at a team like the Houston Astros. They do not have a Nick Markakis-type player in their starting lineup every day. Um, 
even the Washington Nationals, I don't think. Maybe Ryan Zimmerman is kind of their comp. And at this point, Zimmerman is probably a better hitter than, than Mark Kakis is. Yes. I know he's had some injuries, and it's not a perfect comparison by any means, but, but I hope my point is kind of getting across. By, by bringing him back and presumably penciling him in for anywhere between 125 and 162 starts, let's be real, you're, you're <laughs> not allowing yourself to, to explore the other options, players who are, would be marked upgrades. Um, Again, maybe, as you said, maybe they really do value him in the clubhouse. He seems like a great guy. seems they like do. somebody who the young guys have really enjoyed playing with. Um, but at some point, as important as that is, you can't – I mean, he looked terrible. And I know he came off the injury, but it wasn't just the wrist. It was – he looked slow. He looked like he was running in quicksand whenever a ball was hit into the gap. I mean, he's, he's um, not a young man. I mean, he'll be, he'll be, no. uh, he'll be 36 next season. Yeah. That's I mean, that is not for for a corner outfielder. I know he's not the greatest athlete in the world anyway. It's not you know his defense hasn't been good for a long time. I know he won a Gold Glove recently, but you know come on, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I just think that if you're trying to contend, which they clearly are, having a 36 year old that has a platoon split and isn't a great defender play every single day is just it's just kind of outrageous to be honest with you. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Um, and so, again, we're going to say the exact same thing we said last year, at least I am, and we'll see if you agree, if you agree with me. But Yeah, no, I'm with you. If, if they think. use him properly, it is not a disaster. Like, it's it's a reasonable-ish salary for a player of his caliber because he still hits right-handed pitching. We said it a lot during the playoffs or before the playoffs. He still hits right-handed pitching, and as an overall hitter, he is fine. He was league average at the plate this year. He was better than that the previous year. He hits right-handed pitching quite well. The problem is that's kind of all he does quite well. He does some things that are okay otherwise, but yeah, if you platoon him, like, you know, obviously the natural one would be a Duval Marquecas platoon. That isn't sexy though. Like that that's something that is okay to do. But if you're looking at a team that has World Series aspirations and is gonna go into the season with Ender Inciarte in one outfield spot and then a Duval Marquecas platoon in the other, like that's not that's not appetizing. It's not as it's not disastrous either, but it's not like oh look at that that's really scary. No, nah, it's just it's just kind of what it is. So it comes down at the end of the day to how they use him. But until until the current manager proves that he's not going to use him that way, I I am going to assume that a he's going to be on the team, which is above Snickers' head, or at least yeah, in part. I do too. And if he's on the team, he's going to just he's going to play too much. That's just what I think is going to happen. So yeah, no, I'm with you 100. percent And again, I'm you know. Uh, we'll Nick come back Marquecas, to this later. I know. Yeah, <laughs> no, he has his, he has his uh, things he does well, and he has his things he doesn't do well. You know, I think at this point we kind of know what we would get from him if they do bring him back at six million dollars. It's not the end of the world. It's not like they just no. you know sealed their fate for next year. But right, it's um, as I say, I do think the opportunity cost there is is significant. And the you know the fact that they have to give him a two million dollar buyout makes it even easier to pick up the option because you're either you're either paying a guy six million dollars to play or two million dollars to go away, and that's I get it. I, I get why they would keep him. I really do. The yeah. problem becomes what happens after they do that. So we'll discuss that more when we get to the lineup. But um, because Bowman wrote that he is expecting it, I was expecting it already as well, but that was a, a little bit more definitive, so I wanted to pass that information along. Uh, the other two things that are, I guess, a little bit quicker to talk about that from the Mark Bowman thing that came out was he said that he originally was basically saying that he had a 35% chance uh, in his mind of Julio Tehran's $12 million option being picked up. 
now he believes it's 50-50, which I'm not sure what that means, honestly, like how much of that actually matters. But that's kind of where I've been on this the whole time. I can see both sides of the Julio option. Um, for if the, if the Braves had a lot of money, if the Braves were a team that was going to run a payroll a lot higher than this year, I think you, I think you just pick it up because I think he is worth that money. I really do. Like not not easily, not comfortably, but I think what he did in the regular season this year and what starting pitchers make, I think that's an appropriate salary for Julio Tehran. The problem is the opportunity cost because if we assume, and we're gonna come back to this a little bit more in a second, if we assume a relatively fixed payroll that's a lot of money um for Julio Tehran on a relatively fixed payroll especially for a guy who we've now seen two years in a row they don't want to use in the playoffs so I don't know that's kind of where I stand like I'm with you there's if you could pencil in Julio for an ERA of four next year which was more or less I don't have his exact ERA in front of me he actually beat that this year I believe Right. So even if he regresses, I know he's kind of the modern exception to the rule, uh, just with his historically. He basically is the modern exception to the rule. He is, <laughs> truly. I mean, other than Chris Young, you know, it's it's the most amazing stat. He's, he's has the most dramatic ERA to FIP differential of any pitcher in the last 40 years other than Chris Young, um, which is crazy. So if you could pencil in what Julio did this last year at $10, $11 million, whatever it is, then sure, I, I think you take it. I just don't know if that is feasible. And we've seen all different outcomes of, of Julio the last couple of years. Um, part of me says, yeah, he's viable. But then I think, you know what, they wouldn't even put him on the playoff roster at $11 million. And again, not that you want to start cherry picking your stats here, but I mean, the guy faced the Marlins, what, five times, six times, and gave up one run in those five or six starts? Yeah, it's it's a very – he's such a weird player. And to just back you up a little bit here, yeah, Fangra- Fangraph's uh, dollars per war stat, basically, had Julio <laughs> – do you already know this? This is funny. Uh, Julio's dollars per war stat basically puts him at $12.9 million for the season. Which is basically so – he's exactly, exactly what you would think a $12 million pitcher would be. And it's like the most, it's it's the least sexy $12 million imaginable. It's all this stuff, but, and that's what makes it hard. It's, it's like, okay, there's real value in this guy who can eat innings for you, but there's also, you know, basically no upside and the playoff thing. So, yeah. and the money thing, I mean, for me, again, I said this before, but if the Braves had a bunch of money to spend, it would be so much easier. But if you get into a payroll that we're going to assume is kind of close to where it's been the last two or three years, that's 10% of your payroll. Yeah. Like it's not a small amount for a guy who's a regular season pitcher that's not sexy. Yeah. I think for me too, I mean, maybe this is my my opinion or what I would do. Uh right. But I mean I think because the buyout is only a million dollars, is that right? It's not significant. That is right, um, I believe, yes. I for me, it's different. Julio is completely different than Mark Hakis. You know what? For the extra four million dollars, sure, let's bring it back. For flowers, the extra four or five million dollars, sure, let's bring it back. But if it's a difference of $11 million, I think I would be in favor of declining the option, letting him walk, seeing what he might be able to get on the market. Maybe me and you and half of Twitter are completely underestimating what other teams think of Julio, and he will have no trouble getting a— Oh, you know, he might—I mean, honestly, he might, he might get this money. That wouldn't that wouldn't stun me at all. He's, yeah, and it might be a multi-year thing. Maybe a team, you know, a, a rebuilding team wants an innings eater because that is his one thing. Is he's always durable. You know, maybe the Detroit Tigers say, you know what, 
he's going to pitch in our giant ballpark. Who cares what he does? We're going to suck for the next three years. <laughs> even you know, a good team, see. though. I mean, even a team that yeah. has like a playoff-bound team that has a rotation issue. Like, if you put him in your in your in your number five starting slot, he is a he is a, sub, a substantial upgrade from what a lot from what a lot of even good teams have in that spot. Really, and I think because of that. You you almost it's almost a Julio's benefit, really. You know, you kind of let him see what his market is. If if you pick up the option, you know he's coming back and and all that. But if he gets to go out and look around and go, oh wow, I can get a two year twenty four million dollar deal with an option, or three years thirty million, or even a higher AAV on a one year deal or a one plus one deal. But maybe then he goes out and realizes he has no market, and then the Braves miss or don't want to spend the money on some of the free agents or aren't willing to pay the you know, high price of trading for young starting pitching on the market, maybe they circle back to him and they you, sign you know, him. You know, you know what this six. sounds like, Scott? It sounds like one year ago, Nick Marcakis. Yeah, truly. I mean, it does. It, it does. It is it is entirely the Marcakis thing again. There was no one, there was minimal outfield trade movement. Uh, the guys who signed contracts, we saw McCutcheon get a crazy deal. Harper, obviously. Um, AJ Pollock got a big deal. Brantley. Um, who knows, Brantley, which would have been amazing, but alas, um, so yeah, you know, there's, there's nothing saying that if you don't pick up the option, again, you're only at a million bucks. And in February, if you go, you know, we just couldn't make it work with anybody else. Let's, let's bring Julio back. And, and if Julio hasn't signed, let's sign him for, uh, $10 million, which then basically makes him whole or $11 million, which basically makes him whole. And you do it again. And as you said, you could do a lot worse as your fifth starter. If you bring him back and he's just terrible and the wheels finally fall off. You have some young pitchers you can go to. Um, but I think that's kind of where I lean on versus guaranteeing him, as you said, 10% of your payroll for the year for a guy who, uh, again, isn't horrible, but lacks the upside to even make a, a bullpen playoff spot. Yeah, that's a, a good synopsis of that. And uh, we'll talk about it more later, I'm sure. But I think it's a coin flip. And I, I honestly don't know what they're going to do. And neither does Bowman. And I think we're all kind of guessing on this one. That's This is one where I have no real hot take either way. So we'll leave it there for now. Uh, Last Bowman thing before we get to the final segment of of the podcast is that he is reporting that the Braves will, quote, appease Sean Newcomb by allowing him to compete for for a rotation spot during spring training, end quote. I think I'm I'm guilty of this. I think I've almost forgotten about Sean Newcomb sometimes because he just been he was in the bullpen most of the season and I was just treating him like a bullpen arm. But when you when you take a step back, this is not surprising. Sean Newcomb is still very young in relative terms, and was once a big-time prospect and has been a solid starter in the past. So if I am true to what I always say about these kind of guys, let him start and see if it works. That's kind of where I am on this. Yeah, I think with Newcomb, just as you said, because of his age and, and in my head, I had kind of forgotten about him as a potential starting option just because he was really good in that bullpen role. Um, but sure, I mean, you, you give him a couple of starts in the spring, you let him let him see what he can do. If he goes out there and walks the ballpark again, then you say, you know, Sean, it just doesn't work and we're going to keep you in the bullpen. Let's do that. Um, or maybe he finds uh, that, you know, it kind of transfers over what he learned pitching out of the bullpen this year. And all of a sudden the Braves have another three or, uh, you know, a number three or a number four starter on their hands with Newcomb. Um, we've seen at times he's been really effective as a starter. He's, he's pitched well. Um, but we've also seen the starts where he's, 90 pitches in and it's the you know fourth inning and he's barely throwing strikes so um you know Bowman 
it was kind of off my radar. It wasn't something I was necessarily thinking about. I guess the spring training is the ultimate time to give him a chance to see what he can do. And again, if it doesn't work out, then you just shift him to the bullpen and you know you have a pretty reliable guy there for your seventh and eighth innings. When he used the word appease, that makes me feel like Newcomb wants to start, which is not a surprise. And I think he, you know, mm. go ahead and let him. There's no downside. If it doesn't work, like you said, you just put him in the bullpen and it's fine. We know he could be a pretty good bullpen arm. So I am totally on board letting him start. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's your it's your spot, Sean, um, but let him compete. As And that's what Bowman said. And that makes a lot of sense to me. So he's an intriguing option. I mean, if you told me that I am required to give a guy, you know, 30 starts and you compare him to some of the young guys for 2020 only, I think it's, you know, reasonable to think that Newcomb would be be better than some of those guys. Like some of the guys who are going to be competing, like your Kyle Wrights and your Bryce Wilsons, Newcomb could certainly be better than those guys next year. That would not be a surprise to Mm -hmm. me for sure. Yeah. So we'll see. Um, Just an intriguing option that we both kind of forgot about it, it seems. So there you go. Yeah. Um, all right, let's move on quickly. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but worth pointing out here. People have done some. We have we actually had a pretty good deep dive on our uh, on, on the site this week about the forty man roster. But I wanted to set the stage a little bit here. Um, basically, there are ten free agents on the team from last year that are going to be hitting the market plus McCann. So that's that's eleven guys. Um, McCann's retiring, of course, but ten free agents headlined by Dallas Keuchel and Josh Donaldson, who are going to be up for grabs. There are nine guys facing arbitration. Um, if they are tendered, there are a few guys who are absolute locks to get tendered, like Fulty, like Dansby, for instance. Um, but there are some interesting guys beyond that. And then you have the guys who are already under contract. Of course, you have the big, the big, the big ticket guys like Freeman, and then you have the very cheap but long term guys like Acuna and Albies, and you have the pre arb guys. So, all that to say, without going through every single name on this list. If you use the MLB trade rumors estimates for what arbitration is going to be and your current contracts, um, you basically have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, about 12 or 13 players for about $80 million. Freddie Freeman's the most expensive by far at $22 million. You have Mark Melanson as $14 million this year, which people I think people have probably forgotten, but uh, he's making a lot of money this season. Yeah, yes. Uh, and then you have Ender uh, at seven, about seven and a half million. And then you have some some estimates on guys like Fulty for seven and a half million. Shane Green is kind of expensive at six and a half million. Um, this number includes Marcakis, as we talked about earlier, for that reason, and Flowers. Everybody else is pretty cheap. Now that that eighty million dollars does not include Julio Tehran, and it does not include Adam Duvall for me. I think Duvall is closer to the to the lock category, but. Based on what happened yeah. last year, I'm not sure he's a lock, so I didn't put him in that lock category. If you were to add Tehran and Duvall, get you to about $96 million, and Ooh. then you have some pre-arbitration guys who are locks to be around, and suddenly you're over 100. And so, some fairly gigantic holes, too. That's yeah, that's, that's what I mean. I mean, it's like you're already at $100 million without Donaldson, without Keuchel, without some of your bullpen guys. Like That, that, that does not include Chris Martin or Darren O'Day or Jerry Blevins or... Uh, Matt Joyce, who was a key part of this year's team, etc. So you have a $100 million payroll estimated. That includes Julio, for the record. Um, but about $100 million. And that does not have a third baseman that I'm comfortable starting from day one. Um, I know no. you have Austin Riley on the team, and you have Johan Camargo as well. But yes, um, you don't have you don't have huh. Keiko. You, you, yeah. you don't have Keiko. So you don't have a, a defined number one veteran. You have, you have Soroka, who's probably going to be in that role. But no Keiko, no Donaldson. And uh, your bullpen's not as safe as it was at the end of last year. And this is that, th- basically the $100 million also includes an outfield 
on opening day that would essentially be Acuna, Enciarte, and a Marquecas Duval amalgamation. Yeah. That is not a that for me, that is not a ninety five win team. Not even close. No. So I, I you have some so. work to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean truly, and I think that goes back to what we talked about a little while ago about uh, Julio Tehran and guaranteeing his money in November versus leaving your options open and seeing where everybody stands in February. Um, you know, it's significant money, and it's not just Julio's money. There's a lot of guys here who, as you said, are making significant change. Um, I kind of laughed, and I, and I don't want to call him out, but the AJC had a report on the Braves' offseason and said they could have potentially $80 million to spend. Um, I legitimately laughed out loud when I read that because there is absolutely no chance the Braves have close. I mean, that would put them close to $160 million next yeah, year. No, um, no chance. I mean, just, just, just for the record, the last three seasons opening on opening day, the Braves have had 122, 118, 115 million. Yeah. I know they added this year, they added a bunch of money in season, but even then they're not, they weren't closing the year with more than 130, 140 million. There's no way they're going to go almost $200 million. It's just not gonna no, happen. there, there's no chance. And as we've seen, Anthopolis is somebody who wants to have money to spend midseason. Um, you know, to their credit, they did. They went out and spent significant money this year. Of course, Keuchel and the three bullpen arms, those were not cheap. And I would imagine, um, especially if the, the free agent market goes, as people think, it, there's, I think there's a real possibility a player or two make it to the middle of the summer before they sign, just like Keuchel and Kimbrell did last year. Um, but even if there's not that scenario, you want that money that flexibility, right? That that financial flexibility to go out and make a trade for a high dollar player. We've seen time and time again this front office would rather spend extra money than trade good prospects. That's kind of Anthopolis's MO now. Um, and so you know that even if you want to say, yeah, they're gonna spend 140, 150 million dollars next year, which I would be surprised at that latter number, um, you know that he's gonna want at least eight to ten million dollars to spend in the middle of the season. So you can have the ability to add a, you know, a high dollar uh arm or bat or both in the middle of the year. Yeah. I mean, we could go down to more detail here, but you know, there are some interesting decisions. Like I said, Shane Green isn't necessarily a full blown lock to be tender, but I think he probably will be. He's a good pitcher. Um, I'd be pretty surprised. At six million bucks, I'd be pretty surprised. Yeah, six and a half million is it's not a small number, but with what they traded for him, like you got it, you kind of got to do that. Um, so you know, there's even if you take Julio away, even if you took Julio and Marquecas away, which isn't going to happen, you're still you don't have that much money to spend. I mean, you have some money, but and this is what I was we we, we teased earlier in the podcast about about how the the Braves that have this sort of uh, rough payroll estimate slash ceiling, like unless something drastically changes, they don't they're not going to suddenly spend 150 on open by opening day. It's just not realistic i hope it i mean i hope it does for the record but i mean third base is a hole i mean donaldson everyone's talked about how they could yeah. sign donaldson they certainly could sign donaldson that would not be a surprise to anyone i don't think but if they do if you if you put donaldson on the current roster at the figure that he absolutely is going to get you are now at your projected so you're you're now at your projected salary yeah just with donaldson i mean because he's gonna get 20 million dollars yeah. or more annually i can't imagine mm-hmm. he wouldn't based on what he did this year like he was really good this year i guess if he wanted to go a ton of a, a ton of years maybe not but it's going to be at the absolute lowest like 18 million dollars a year and probably more so that puts you at 120 <laughs> and again that would be higher than they were opening day last year and higher than they were opening day in 2018 and that does not include 
a guy like Keuchel, and that does not include uh, bullpen arms that you're probably going to need. So there's yeah. some interesting stuff here. I mean, and that's kind of the problem when you're talking about, you know, the $6 million here, $6 million there for Marquecas and for, you know, the 12 for Julio in a, you know, individual sense does not kill you. But when they sort of rack up and you, again, are working on sort of like a defined payroll ceiling, it's tough. And I mean, Melanson's making $14 million a year. I think he can be worth that, but that's a lot more money than you were paying a guy like that this year, for instance, like yeah. for the, for the full season. So, yeah, I know there was some, some sticker shock at Melanson and I still, it's I mean, fine. I get it. I mean, it's, but truly, I mean, at that point, if he can be the guy, he was. I mean, if again, not to turn this into the Mark Melanson season in review podcast, but <laughs> his his advanced numbers were really good. I mean, he was striking out a ton of guys. Pitcher. I know his like playoff good. wasn't his playoff wasn't great, but again, and we don't need to go down the you know fourteen bloop doubles and and balls just fair down the lines that the Cardinals had, but he was good. I, I can't imagine a scenario where. Uh, he just completely falls off next year. I think he has a chance to be worth at least close to that. But, but you're right. I mean, we keep talking about these dollar figures, and slowly but surely you add up. And this is a team that is in a window. It's a team that has two superstars, dirt cheap, with Ozzy and, and Acuna. Um, you still have guys like Dansby pretty cheap. Um, and then, of course, Max Fried and Soroka are all cheap, and you have all the young pitchers. Uh, who haven't really established themselves yet, but they're all making half a million bucks. So yep. you have some the opportunity, at least, to really add some talent here. Um, but again, as we've said on this and elsewhere, this really is an important offseason for the Braves. They have a couple of huge decisions, and, and frankly, a lot of different ways they could go. Um, I think this front office has shown they deserve uh, the benefit of the doubt with these things because they've put together two really good teams kind of on the fly the last two years. But um Ultimately, there's a lot of big decisions that are going to be coming. Yep, I, I totally agree. And, you know, offensively, I think it would be a little bit jarring if you were to roll into the season next year with the same offensive players minus Josh Donaldson. Like, that suddenly is not a very terrifying offense. Let's no, just say not that. at all. So uh, they're going to have to do something. They're going to do something. I mean, if it's not Donaldson, they are going to spend money on someone. Um, I'm not sure who that player is going to be. But... You know, there's some shifting that has to happen. I do think, like, obviously the popular name, this is a good transition point to the World Series that's about to start on Tuesday. The popular name has been Garrett Cole and and Dreamland for Braves fans. Um, If they were to sign Garrett Cole, that would be nice, but I have to assume they would not bring back Julio Tehran if they were going to do that, um, which would help (laughs) a little bit on the money front, but that's a lot of money. I mean, these guys who are the actual top-tier free agents are going to get what most fans are not going to want to pay. It's just kind of what it is. So... Let me let me ask you this. We talk about money. Is Ender and Ciarte at just under eight million dollars? Is he on the Braves on opening day next year? That's an interesting question. I mean, here's the thing: the pro the pro Ender side is that Ender is probably the the second best outfielder on the team at this moment. Yeah, I am, agree. I, am I wrong? I mean, I, I mean, no, I, he's, I he's not se- he's not sexy at all based on you know the the offense is what it is, but. He's better than Marquecas. He's better than Duval. He's better than Camargo. Like he just he is. Yeah. It's not in a. He's been the exact same player for like four years. Yeah, now. I mean he's, he's again he's not going to blow you away, but provided he's healthy, he's a starting caliber player. The problem is, on the con side of that, is that he probably needs to be like your seventh or eighth best position player on a World yeah. Series contending team. Mm-hmm. Um, and seven you know seven point seven million dollars is not anything 
crazy. Like that's an appropriate figure for him. He's probably underpaid um, if he's just playing every single day. But yeah, yeah, it's interesting. But, if they if they want Acuna but, to play center field, yeah. yeah, I mean that's the that's the really the question is if they want to upgrade that spot, it's probably with Acuna at center, in center. But then you got to get corners, and you you don't have like an overflowing abundance of corner outfielders <laughs> on your team. Yeah, well, truly, and then you you're gonna say that. If you do, and again, this maybe this is too far down the road, but why not, right? Yeah, um, if you're if you're if you're bringing back Ender next year, and you don't significantly upgrade catcher, and other than Grandall, there's really no way to do that, and you're committed to Dansby, which I think they will for another year, yes, at, at least. I agree. Then you're you are coming into opening day with a guaranteed six through nine of Dansby, Tyler Flowers, and some catcher TBD. Ender and Ciarte. It's not and <laughs> and a starting in, in your pitcher. I mean that that and is. By the way, that does life. not that doesn't even include Marquecas. Right. Because if, so, if you throw him in there, then you, then then your five through nine is is the five through nine from, nine from this year. That's that's the thing. This year's offense was essentially carried by four guys. There there were some nice yeah. Dansby moments. There were some nice Marquecas moments along the way, but for the most part, wire to wire, this was a four man offense this year. Yeah, I just don't think. Again, I could be wrong. I think they are over. Yeah, and, and I'm not necessarily sure they are going to go with that next year. But you better be sure that if you're, that's going to be. And again, if they bring back Marquez and that's going to be your five through nine, you better have a ready to go Josh Donaldson or a or, significantly or Rendon <laughs> or yeah. you find a legitimate third base bat because your one through four has to. Not only be productive, but be healthy because you. I mean, imagine if Donaldson wasn't healthy last year, and then you have that five through nine. How yeah. bad things could have been. Um, so anyway, we were talking about that earlier this week about Ender and teams who might be interested in a glove first to kind of withstand a weaker bat in the bottom half of the order. Because right now, I'm not sure the Braves, as currently constructed, can necessarily withstand another light hitting you know, bottom, bottom half of the lineup with Ender and Dansby, who could still figure things out and hit like he did in the first half. So I, I have re- reservations about that. Um, and then again, you know, Tyler Flowers and his platoon mate. Yeah. Only no, have such a high of a, a ceiling. Yeah. I, I'm with, I'm with you. The good thing about Ender is that you can trade Ender and you're going to get something back. Like c- comparing Ender to the guys who they have options on, those guys either are back or they're not. If it's Ender, you're going to trade him for something of value. It's not going to be yeah. incredible value. It's not going to. It's not going to knock your socks off the way that it would have, the way that it might have three years ago if they traded him at peak value. But he's not someone who's going. To, you're, you're, you're just going to give away. Like you're going to get some value for him. No, no, absolutely not. Nice. I want to make sure that's clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I just want to make sure people like know idea, that we're talking yeah. about that. Yeah, it's, yeah. I, I think the idea of maybe trading him for a middle rotation starter might be, you know, of, of interest to the Braves. Again, it takes two to tango and. But yeah, um, there is some value, as you said. Yeah, so I'm with you, big big picture wise. I just want to kind of lay this lay the scene out a little bit here to say it's fun to talk about what they could do. And I'm you know my my not at all bold prediction is that they're going to do something with the lineup to where that is not going to be the five through eight. I will be kind of surprised if they go into opening day with Marcakis, Ender, the Flowers catching platoon, and Dansby all in the starting lineup. Now, yeah. would I be shocked beyond measure? No. But I'm going to predict that they do something else. I don't know if that's Marquecas going to a smaller role. I don't know if that's trading Ender. I don't know if that's Grandal. But it's it's something else, I think. 
I'm not convinced, yeah. but I, I think I'm leaning in that direction. And we'll see. But yeah, I mean, it'd be nice if they would just run a higher payroll. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> right. until if they only. do, until they do that, and I know they spent they spent in, they spent in season this year, and they were given credit, and they should be given credit for that. But there was this kind of false narrative about how much money they spent, and they didn't spend more money this year. They just spent it later, essentially. Yeah. They didn't. Some. They, they did. I mean, I think. I think a lot of fans think, think that the Braves ran this massive, you know, payroll increase this year. That that did not happen. They just happened to save yeah. it and spend it later, and it worked out. Yeah. And the team. It did. I mean, again, yeah, ninety-seven wins, and the yeah. team in the yeah. second half. I mean, that's that's the thing that we've been saying for a while. But the team from the deadline on, like, felt like a hundred-win team. Like the team that had Keuchel and that bullpen, like, felt like the team that we wanted to feel like in April. If that makes sense. Yeah. And Donaldson and a groove yeah. and some better dip, bench depth. And yeah. So yeah. That, there's something to be said for that. Obviously they did a great job in season. Um, they also, you can argue, if you want to be negative, you could argue that, you know, they gave away a lot of wins potentially in the first two months of the season without those guys. But you know, it worked out very well. Clearly the, the, but the thing is they're not going to suddenly have a two a $200 million payroll. So you have to be smart about this. It's not a salary cap sport, but just being realistic here, we know that it'd be easier sure. if they ran a payroll, but they're just probably not going to do that. So mm-hmm. you have two guys. You only have, you, I guess, on the bright side, you only have two guys that are locked into eight million to eight figure salaries this year. One is Freeman, and the other is Melanson, and that they, that could be worse. Like they they have they have a really good setup. I think you said this earlier, but they're set up very well for a team that has this artificial payroll cap. They're set sure. up very well for that <laughs> because they have Ronald Acuna and Ozzy always making $2 million combined next year, which is comical. But And, no, Mike, and no, Mike Soroka absolutely. making less than a million dollars and yeah, all this stuff. So yeah. they, they are built for it. Um, and by the way, they have, to, they have to start paying Freddie again pretty soon, which will be interesting to see how, see how much money he gets. So yeah, yeah 2020 is going to be interesting. That's kind of the overall synopsis of the next several months. But yeah, $100 million before you get into – Adding anybody new is uh, a little bit scary when that number does not include Keiko and Donaldson, who were two of your best, what, eight players, yeah, seven players. Truly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a, uh, it's a little scary, but at the same time, this is a team that won 97 games and was really, really good this year. So there's a worse yeah. starting place to be coming from than uh, where the Braves <laughs> are. Yeah. This is a lot more fun to talk about than like the 2016, 2017. Yeah, the early days of the podcast podcasts. were uh, yeah. a little bit rougher. So shouts to Carlos Colazzo. Um There you go. Before we wrap up, Scott, I need your World Series prediction because uh, I know Braves fans, at least if I if I, if I might speak for them, um, probably don't love the fact that the Nationals are in the World Series. <laughs> um, huh. The Nationals being um, maybe not the arch rival, but one of the arch rivals. The fact that the Nats are there is not pleasurable. I do think that um, Nats-Yankees would have been brutal for a specific age of Braves fan. Like, for instance, my age of Braves fan, having played the Yankees um, in my youth a couple of times in the World Series. I hate the Yankees and will always hate the Yankees. So it was nice to not have a a Nats-Yankees World Series. And now I could just freely root for the Astros. Be fine. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I, I was... It was really weird uh, because you, you always kind of think you know who you're going to root for and then you watch the games and you maybe feel a little bit differently. Like I was all in on the Nationals beating the Cardinals. And maybe it was just the way the Cardinals – I mean no one really likes the Cardinals, right? And then all of their off-field antics and the way they were 
complaining about Acuna and their manager's leaked speech that came in after about, you know, no one messes with us and all this stuff. Like, grow up. Um, so, yeah, anyway, um, I was happy to see the Nats beat St. Louis at least. Um, I'm going to take Astros in – ooh, I'm going to say Astros in six. I think it could be – the only thing I don't see is – and this isn't necessarily bold – is the, the Nationals making it a short series. I could see Houston winning in like four or five games. Yeah. Um, I could see Houston winning in six or seven, and I could see Washington even stealing it with their pitching the way they've been going uh, in six or seven. But I just can't see Washington winning a short series. So I'll say Houston in six. I am with you almost across the board there. The only outcome that I'd be surprised by would be Nationals in a sweep or something like that. But um, just to set the stage, if you like baseball, and I think people listening to this podcast do, I know we have a lot of just Braves fans that don't really watch a lot of baseball, which I understand. I totally get that, particularly in a very regional sport. But if you like the sport, I mean, this pitch, these pitching matchups are absolutely absurd. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Garrett Cole, Max Scherzer in Game 1. Um Justin Verlander, Steven Strasburg in Game Two, Patrick Patrick Corbin and Zach Greinke in Game Three, probably. Yeah, like that's insane. absolutely outrageous. Those those are six of the twelve best pitchers in, in the world, probably six of the yep. fifteen best pitchers in the world. If you want to be more conservative, yeah, yep. Just squaring off with each other in the World Series, like it doesn't get better than that, unless yeah. it's the Braves playing. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm taking the Astros too. I think the Astros are kind of a juggernaut. I tweeted this this week, but <laughs> it's absolutely insane. So the Astros in the regular season as a team had a 125 WRC plus mm. as yeah. a team, just for comparison's sake. I know that stat isn't one that everybody loves, but it's a very, very good catch all for offense. Ronald Acuna's WRC plus this season was 126. Jesus. Yeah. The Astros are essentially Ronald Acuna as a team at the plate. And Ronald Acuna yeah. is going to be a top 10 MVP finisher this year, probably top 15 at minimum. He should be. Yeah. And the Astros as a team have this pretty much the same WRC plus as Ronald Acuna. So that tells you how, how obscene they are. Like I, I, throughout the season, I kind of dropped nuggets about how I thought the nationals were actually quite good. They got off to a really rough start, but they were, that's a really good baseball team. Top to bottom. You don't have to like them and I don't like them, but that's a very, very talented team. And Houston's a lot better than them. They they can win. I mean, obviously they can win. It's baseball, but I think the Astros are really good. I mean, and the, in the clinching game, the Astros had Carlos Correa batting sixth, um, uh, Jordan Alvarez batting seventh. I mean, this—they're ridiculous. Yeah, your, um, Jordan Alvarez, really who was terrible, his, he was terrible in the series. Uh, Alvarez was, but Alvarez had like a nine something OPS for the season, and he was hitting seventh mm-hmm. <laughs> or eighth or yeah. And like there was talk of benching him because they have other options. They yeah, pin, they so. pinch hit for him. Basically, he was yeah. he was a. Like, no doubt, all-star level player all season long had incredible numbers. They pinch it for him in, in the biggest spot of the game. They pinch yeah, it he for had similar game. numbers to Freddie Freeman. I mean, truly. Yeah, but that, they, mean, I was about to say, Freddie they basically pinch hit for Freddie Freeman with the bases loaded in a massive spot in the, in the, in the, LC, in the ALCS. Everybody was like, okay, that's fine. Yep, <laughs> do it. Yep. It you got a righty? Again, so. Yeah, no, it's... They, they, I like the Astros. I, I, you know, I think the Astros right now are kind of the gold standard for... Um, how to rebuild the team, especially one that, I mean, the Dodgers, of course, are great, and the Yankees have had some really good teams, but those teams have unlimited funds. It's obviously up to them to spend that money and spend it wisely, but, you know, the Braves are never going to get to the spending level of, of what the Dodgers and what the Yankees have, but, and, and granted, the Astros have really extended their payroll as they've hit this World Series window, and it helps when you have an extra 
you know, 12 to 16 home games to, to help bring in revenue, revenue, right. But, um, yeah, the Astros are as good as it gets. And, and I think the Nats are going to give them a series for sure. Yep. Um, but I, I do think Houston wins in the end. Yeah, uh, just for the record, I will say I will say Astros in five. I don't love that. I think it probably goes a little bit longer, but just to be different from you, I was going to say six and you stole it from me. So uh, Astros sorry. in five is what I will say. But yeah, the Nats, the Nats have a chance. I mean, it's they're good enough. Sure. And in a baseball, in one baseball series, anything can happen as we've all seen. So yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I, I think the most intriguing thing, and I never know how much of an actual factor this is, but having basically, what are they going to have off? Like eight days or something like that since they last played? The Nats have not played uh, in quite some time. I had it up a second ago and I closed it. Yeah, they have not played. This is riveting podcast audio. The Nationals <laughs> have not played since the 15th, so they will have six days off. Six, yeah. Yes, so they, they play. The they play Tuesday, kind of, and the World Series opens Tuesday, so they basically have a week in between games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there that's you a go. long time. So yeah, so Astros, Astros and five, Astros and six. Um, I think that's. I think that's the consensus, and I think it should be a, a great series either way. Yeah, the Astros are favored for a reason. They're like minus two twenty favorites in Vegas, and that's a big series price in a World Series. That's a that's kind of that's a big spot. Wow, they're very good. That's kind of the reason why. Um, yeah. All right, Scott, we've gone long enough um, with some audio difficulty in the middle, which people won't even know because we're that good, Scott. Uh, <laughs> the magic of uh, Skype television, right? Yeah, the magic of editing software. Um, there you go. Well, man, do you have anything going? Uh, I know the site, we're, we're still busy, by the way. We, we do not go away. The podcast will be here, I would say, most weeks, maybe not every single Sunday, but most Sundays in the offseason we will be here, including emergency ones if they make big signings. Uh, the site's still rolling. Have you written anything recently? Anything, anything you got coming that you want to plug? If not, um, that's fine. But Yeah, no, we have uh, – I, I don't believe any of them have run yet, but they probably will this week. But as a staff, we all pick up various players for seasons in review. So um, I think I got the Dansby Swanson and Adam Duvall ones in the can and then have a couple others I'm working on. So those should run at some point whenever uh, Chris Willis, our fearless leader, decides to run them. Um but again, it's as people know, it's a long off season. You have to spread them out just a little bit. So um, those will be coming. But other than that, yeah, just if any news, we should be seeing some news over the next couple of weeks, and um, and then hopefully a a better than last year off season would be, I think, appreciated by everybody. As uh, baseball people always say, free agency opens the day after the World Series. So you are allowed to sign players the day after the World Series. Now, is that going to happen? Probably not. But the Braves no. could make some noise fairly early. If not, if nothing else, they could make some. They noise. did last year. I yeah, mean, we I mean, it... joked about the thirty minutes of off-season activity last year, but they were the first team to make any significant move last winter. And they, at least, if nothing else, there is some intrigue on like the Tehran option, for instance. Like that's one that's they probably have sure. to decide fairly early on, and you know that's one to circle. Oh yeah, five days, five days after the World Series, right? Yeah, they, so they got to go. Some they got to go pretty soon on that. The one thing that I we didn't say, and this is not a, not not important. Um, the only decision that I have a hundred percent confidence on going into the offseason is that Billy Hamilton will not be getting his seven point five million dollar club option picked up. Yeah, sorry Billy, sorry Billy, but uh, listen, he got he got paid one long, long ago. But that's the one absolute no brainer the Braves have is to decline Billy Hamilton's club option. Yeah. Sorry, man. I think he has some value, but not that much value. <laughs> no. So, no, I mean, uh, I'd, I'd bring him back for like two million bucks, but not for seven and a half. Yeah, million. if Billy if Billy wants to take the league minimum, I would be fine with that because he does bring some real intriguing value, particularly in the playoffs. Um, but anyway, all right, Scott. Well, uh, thank you. 
as always, my friend, we will do some deep dives in the future, either with you and I or me and Eric or you and Eric or however we do this, but we'll cover, we'll, we're not going anywhere. Please tell your friends about the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast via your platform of choice or just pick them all. Um, I'm a big fan of people gaming the system. So if you want to go ahead and just click the download button on multiple podcast platforms and listen to one and just download the rest, I'm okay with that. Do it. Let's get weird and uh, grow the podcast because it's been really good. <laughs> By the way, thanks. Honestly, I said this genuinely. I said this a little bit on the last podcast with Eric when we were sort of signing off the season, but I really am genuinely thankful for the growth in the podcast. We've gotten a lot more attention, which is very very uh rewarding for us so thank you for everyone checking out the podcast i believe i have to double check i believe the game five episode was their number one episode ever was it really yeah which is kind of surprising to me because i thought people were going to skip it because of how brutal (laughs) it was and honestly it was kind of funny to see this unfold it was more of a slow burn like the day after the listens were not as big as they had been the previous games which i understand but it kind of just like, all right, I guess I'll listen to this. And we, we, were get, we were getting tweets yeah. like three or four days later, like, okay, it's time. I'll do it. And I started laughing. <laughs> yeah. But uh, like yeah, so stages I, I yeah. believe that was the case. So thank you to everyone listening to the podcast. But we're not going anywhere. So don't don't leave us. Check us out throughout the offseason. I know there's a plenty of good Braves podcasts out there, but hopefully you uh, can find some time for us. And uh, one, one more time. Thanks, Scott. We'll do it again very soon. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. We'll uh, We'll do this soon. Plans in the works, folks. Next Sunday, I hope, unless something crazy happens, we'll have another podcast. And uh, until then, stay tuned and check out the site. Support for this podcast came from SAS. Data is everything. And now everything is data, which means more to process, more to analyze. And now more than ever, speed to answers matters. So how do you produce those answers as fast as the world produces data? With SAS VIA, the quickest way from a billion points of data to a point of view. It's a more productive data and AI platform that helps you get more done. Learn more today at sas.com slash V-I-Y-A. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.